Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, baby, that brown liquor make my heart go quicker. Welcome to the Leisure Class. I'm your host, Jack Song, a podcast dedicated to turning you on to the good stuff, a gathering place for the many kindred spirits I am grateful to call friends. Musicians, writers, artists, chefs, cocktail wizards, and wine geeks, all members of the Leisure Class. Greetings from Taylor, Mississippi. We got storms rolling in. And everyone's battening down the hatches, canceling events, closing schools and businesses early like it's the end times. Southerners take the weather very seriously. And I'm not trying to downplay the dangers of tornadoes or any of that stuff, but we got those warnings happening. I've had warnings all day long about high winds and rains coming in. I grew up in Pennsylvania and New England and Weather comes in, man. We're like, yeah, whatever. Same with California. Storms come in. There's flooding in the streets. I can tell you there will always be someone out kayaking down Main Street. So I'm hanging here at the chicken house, sipping a little brown liquor cocktail and thinking about a whole lot of things. But one thing that's been on my mind lately is I got to ask, what is it about our culture here in the United States that is so focused on what it is that we do? You know, in adulthood, it's usually the first question we get asked when we're introduced to someone. What do you do? With the unspoken rest of that question, which is implied, is like, what do you do for a living? What's your job? And that answer defines us to this other person. I'm a musician. I'm head of a hedge fund company. I'm in waste management. The answer paints a picture in this other person's mind that includes an assumption about so many things about us. Our choices in life, our values, and in this country, it places a value on us. No one ever answers, you know, what I do is I attend endless meetings, some of them about setting up other meetings, and I put up with endless bullshit by bosses who know less than me. Or... What I do is I think about the possibilities of multiple parallel universes while I'm working. Or I wonder if penguins have feathers or fur. Or better yet, I spend as much time with my loved ones as possible. You know, what I do is wake up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, and think how grateful I am to have woken up today. The other implication in this question is that there's only one thing we can do, one thing we are, only one thing we can be. You know, nothing could be further from the truth. And this mindset begins early in our lives. What's the single most asked questions of children in this country? What do you want to be when you grow up? Pick one thing. 
a fireman, a doctor, an astronaut. And of course, we pick one. And we set out on a course charted through school and college to become that one thing. As if life isn't full of curveballs. You know, life is a game of pin the tail on the donkey. We're blindfolded by this singular vision, and we get spun around and pushed off into an unknown direction, valiantly trying to stick that ass in the ass. You ever see anyone win that game without cheating? We are not taught to be flexible, to roll with the punches, to hit a curveball. We as society look at not reaching that single goal as failure. And this can be totally devastating to those not prepared to accept things that don't always work out. Letting go of that particular focus and being okay with waking up every morning to look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know, if I'd only held on for one more week, if I only tried a little bit harder, if I only did this, if I only did that, I would have made it. We're not taught how to be good with moving on, to set out on a new path, and to be open to the possibilities. It's not easy. I know that. The adult question is the one we should be asking kids. Not, what do you want to be? What do you want to do with your life? What do you dream about doing during the precious time you have here? You want to be a doctor? Well, I may be splitting hairs here, but what you do as a doctor is help people. And there are many ways to achieve that goal. So be open to the possibilities. Stay focused, but realize the path isn't always straight. Figuratively and literally, I have worn many hats in my life. My path has been anything but straight. And answering the question, what do you do, has always made me laugh a bit. Because no matter what the hat I was wearing at the time looked like to anyone else, has never really defined me. The head that hat sits on has always wanted to do one thing. And that's connect with people through my artistic expressions. Whether it's writing, my music, my creative direction in marketing and advertising, when I had a radio station that I was operating, and now with this podcast. I don't believe anyone should be or can be defined by their job and what they do for a living. I'm rattling this all around my head because my guest today has lived a life of twists and turns. Also trading one hat for another, a journey that took him from his home in Venice, Italy, and his work as a marketing executive to Venice, California. And what does he do, you may want to ask? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you who he is. Enrico Busto is an artist who chooses as his artistic expression the creation of custom hats designed to reflect and accentuate the owner's personality. When we come back, Enrico joins us for a freewheeling conversation about style, art, hat making, and being open to what life offers. And later, we're joined for a special Shake It Up with our magician behind the bar, Brad Johnson, and we talk more hats, style, art, while sipping some fine cocktails. 
Welcome to the Leisure Class. I'm your host, Jack Sonny, brought to you by Newsweek. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ciao, Fritello. Come stai? Ciao, Jack. Va bene? Good, good. Grazie. And that's the extent of my Italian. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, all the time that I've spent in Italy and all, the fact that I grew up, you know, with a, an Italian father and Italian household, I only know a bit of that. And pizza, pasta, spaghetti. I know how to say bruschetta properly. Oh, that's good. Okay. I also know how to say vaffangulo. Vaffanculo. <laughs> Properly. I mean, properly. You, you, know the, you know the essential. So, you know, yeah, you're exactly. Fine. Que cazzo de minga. That kind of stuff is, you know, the important things. I, I forgot to learn how to, like when I was on tour and over in Italy visiting the first time, I forgot to learn how to say, do you live with your parents? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would have been an essential thing as a 28-year-old running around <laughs> Milan. Yeah. Right? Vivi con i tuoi genitori. <laughs> si. <laughs> so, <laughs> My wife studied, you know, she knew Italian a little bit before me, uh-huh. but she studied like a lot before, you know, when I planned our trip, you know, to go back and introduce to my parents and my friends. And, right. and so she was studying like every day. She had like this old like uh, uh, record, like probably was like from the 90s or something like that. Right, right. Every day she was driving an hour, like listening and going. And the first phrase that was in this book was the turtle doesn't read my books. And I said, what the hell? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the stuff that they choose to try to like teach you the language is pretty crazy. It's a little older, but you know. All right, brother. So first of all, tell me about your move from Venice to the States, and then we'll get into your artwork a little bit. It's a, it's a very long story. Uh-oh. I'm going to try to make it <laughs> short. So I was passionate about beach volleyball. I came here because, you know, California is beach volleyball. And so in 2001, one of my friends, one of my, you know, teammates said, oh, there is our friend, you know, Ricardo, that he wants to go to California and stay there for, you know, a few months. And, but he's looking someone to go with. And I said, give me his number. So I was, you know, I was 21 years old, never being, you know, outside by myself. And so I said, you know, I call Ricardo. I said, I met him like a couple of times. I said, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go to San Francisco and then. You know, I'm going to fly back three months after. I said, okay, I'm coming. I went home. I said to my dad, you know, I'm going to go to California for three months. He said, just come back to finish college and I'm fine. You can do whatever you want. So I came here and obviously I, you know, I was out of mind. I said, you know, this is my place. And in that moment, I really shaped my concept of the world. And I see California as my final destination. And I was talking about to everybody when I was back and, you know, and from Venice Beach to Venice, Italy, like studying. I said, wow, what the fuck am I doing in Venice, Italy now? You know, I want to be in the other one. And 15 years later, you know, for like 
a lot of like coincidences and a lot of, you know, opportunities. I decided to quit my job there. I was doing, you know, something completely different. I was a marketing executive for like, you know, I organized like the beach volleyball championship in Italy and I was working for like soccer teams, Atalanta and Palermo. And I was starting, you know, making hats as a passion uh, because my mom was like a seamstress. So I learned, my head is very big. And so I collected like vintage hats. But my head is big, it's seven and five, eight. So they were not fitting. So I just, you know, stretched them and I was destroying them and learned how to fix them. But, you know, I was teaching since I was like five, six years old. So I had a good, you know, basic skills. Okay. They were like sitting there for like 30 years, but they, they were there. And so, you know, I had this like kind of secret passion to restore hats. And, um, and when I decided to move here, I think I kind of unlocked something. You know, in Italy, we have like, it's a beautiful culture, but the mentality is kind of like very strict. And so if one day I wake up in Italy and, you know, I'm a marketing executive and say, okay, today I'm going to make hats. All my friends said, okay, we're going to take you to the hospital because you have some problems. <laughs> but, but here you can do whatever you want and nobody judge you. And it's just what you do that make who you are. And so I felt like a deep sense of like freedom. And so I just doing, you know, start making hats without the fear to be judged by anyone. And that I think unlocked really, you know, my passion and, and a new perspective for me that I was, you know, was seated there and it was seated under, you know, the pressure of what people wanted me to do and what my position was like kind of like forcing me to do, you know? Right. Well, it seems like you have a, a particular outsider's, obviously, perspective on the United States, because I will tell you that, you know, here, growing up here, there is also that sort of expectation that, you know, you're going to go to school, you're going to go to college, you're going to get a job, you're going to do, you know, whatever. Um, but it also, like you say, America has this sort of, ideal of freedom. You can reinvent yourself here and do whatever you want. And you actually did it, man. That's amazing. You know, <laughs> you mentioned your mom being a seamstress and you growing up around, you know, having your clothes made for you. Yeah. So, so that was, yeah, everything sort of, since I was, you know, a newborn. Yeah. But why hats particularly? Why hats? What is it? I spent so much time at the beach. Okay. So, Kind of my signature was every summer I was having a new fun hat, you know, and that was my, you know, my beach style for the summer. Got it. But usually I, you know, I think, you know, my mom made me, you know, pants and jackets and sweaters, like with, you know, all the super fine, you know, cashmere and velour, you know. And so for me, like texture is very important, how it feels. And I think hats has a special power. So they are the most transformational item you can have. You know, sometimes you have like a white shirt and you put a hat and you are like dressed up. It's true. You know, if you have a white shirt and a cool pair of shoes and like a belt and stuff, you know, it takes a lot to the hat. You know, also I have like very long hair. So in the morning, I don't want to <laughs> spend an hour just to brush them. Right. So I just put the hat on and I'm fine. Yeah, I, I don't have that particular problem but it does help 
keep the sun off my head. So <laughs> it works. It works either way, you know. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of, of of hats being transformational, it's especially now. Like in in the United States, for the longest time, all men wore fedoras. All men wore hats. The you know legend is that when John Kennedy J- JFK became president and he wasn't wearing a hat, that it became not cool any longer. But over the past few years, definitely hats have become a thing again. I think there are like uh, several factors. So I want to tell you also a piece of history. So Beautiful. not only Kennedy, but in the you know after the World War, uh, people were wearing less hats because kind of like resembled the helmet in some way. You know, put something on your head that remind war. And so uh, Ford noticed that and he said, okay, if people are wearing less hats inside the cars, I can save money and lower the roof of the car. Get out. You're talking about Henry Ford? Really? Yes. <laughs> so if you notice, after 1950s, the car are lower ceiling. Before, they were meant to have the space to hold the hat inside. That's after a- 1950s, they're lower. That's amazing, man. I never thought, I would have never thought about that. But you're right. It's like all those cars are have extra height to them. And as a hat wearer, when I get in my yeah. car now, I got to take my hat off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's fantastic. Wow. Okay. In the last uh, probably like five to 10 years, there is on the, um, you know, on this side of the ocean, there is more awareness about skin cancer and protecting your skin. Okay. In Italy, we want to burn ourselves. You know, we go at the beach, we want to be black. <laughs> we want to like get so red and, and sunburn. Olive, olive oil on your skin to get nice and tan. Yeah, because people want, they need to notice that you went to the beach. <laughs> the before, you know? But here, I think uh, uh, the protection made like a big step. And then for sure, music influence, you know, uh, the style. Yeah. Know? Bob Dylan and, you know, the beautiful hats you have seen, you know, on stage are the one that kind of inspired the style, not only of hats, but, you know, clothing. And, and right. I think um, there is a new renaissance, I think, in the last five to 10 years. And people are wearing hats much more. Probably they found also the transformative, you know, way of hats, you know, just, you know, dress up without, you know, uh, right. too much effort. And being original and try to, you know, to express your personality. and. When you get together with someone to make a custom hat for them, because I just want people to be aware that like, that's what you do. It's all custom yeah. stuff. And yeah. so what's your process when you, when someone walks into your shop or you meet someone, explain like how you go about creating something that is an extension of their personality and something that they're going to want to put on their head. I mean, there is two, two aspects. One is the personality. One is, uh, your body type and your face shape. So the first thing is, you know, there is, you can, you know, you can kind of like pick the approach. I want to have like a stunning piece. I want to have a piece for like a special occasion for a wedding, for parties, for, or I want to have a hat that I can wear every day without looking what I'm, you know, wearing. Like I wore this hat three years in a row every single day without looking my outfit right. and it worked. So there is like proportions. So the first thing is you want to kind of like pro- have a proportion between your jaw shape and how long is it and how, you know, 
curve is your jaw with the crown of the head. So the ideal is that this part resemble very much your jaw. Okay. And that's the first. You know, beauty is a matter of balance. Uh, like, for example, if you have a very pointy nose and, you know, you want to kind of like hide it, you have a very pointy crown on the head and that will create balance on your face. If you have a very round face, you have a, a round top, a round crown, like an open crown and will kind of like long your face and make it less round. Interesting. So that's the first, you know, that's the first part. And then there is also a proportion with your shoulder and your body type. Of course, there is a proportion with your shoulders and with your height, because if you're very low and you have a very wide brim, you look like a mushroom. It's going to squeeze you. It's going to squeeze your, you know, your, uh, right. your, your figure. Mm-hmm. If you are very thin, very tall, you want to have, you know, a brim that is wider and, you know, and give more personality. Uh, if you have a small shoulder, you want to have a small brim that is going to balance better your body type. Right. So this is like the aesthetic proportion. And then obviously there is also color proportion, like very light skin, very light hat, kind of wash off your face. So you want to have something warmer. There are like a little tricks, blue eyes, blue hat, make the eyes, you know, exploding and become even more beautiful. Um, same thing with the brown eyes, brown hat, gray eyes, gray hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing, the most fun and personal is, you know, your expression and what do you want to represent and what's your feelings and what's your story. And that requires more time and more feeling. And that's why I love this job because I have to meet, you know, incredible humans and share their stories and make something that works for them and is something that they will carry out and will talk about themselves. And so, you know, I got, you know, got so lucky. I met such incredible people between stuntmen and musicians. Yeah, drop, go ahead. Drop some names, man, if you want to. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's just, uh, I don't like to drop names. I like to drop people and experiences. I think that one is the fun part. You know, uh, having to know the guy that was driving the A-team van in the movie, in the series in the 80s. I was, for me, it was like to see Bob Dylan in person, you know. (laughs) Wow. You know, you were my hero. He was driving the General Lee, you know, in the Duke of Azar. I said, wow. You know, for me, it was like mind-blowing, you know. I was keeping school in the morning just to be able to watch them on TV. (laughs) That's great, man. And uh, talking about with them and learning about, you know, their experiences, we put part of their experiences and part of who they are inside the hat an original piece that talk about yourself and there is you know nothing else right. that you know can be compared you know the the difference between walking into and not to disparage any any hat shops that are out there you know because i've bought off the rack it's like buying a off the rack suit right the difference you walk in you find a hat you put it on you kind of go oh that okay that kind of works that's great the difference is, and let's start from the beginning of the process where you put that thing on people's heads. <laughs> Unfortunately, people can't see it because this is all audio, but it is this contraption that looks like an inverted inside of an old typewriter. 
Yeah, it's a, like a, a it's a late eighteen hundred conformator. Conformator it was made. In, yeah, it was made in France. You know, and uh, unfortunately, there are not that many around. And I got so lucky; I just bought my third one. I'm. I don't know. I have a new obsession, so I've collected them. <laughs> well, it's, if there's not many around, it's good to have. Yeah, it's it's been hard. You know, I found my second one after four years. I was looking, and the third one, like just recently. Yeah. So if uh, we put in your head, and that machine kind of like get the shape of your head, and so when you put the head, it's gonna fit you know perfectly in any single spot. It's like the same as you were saying. You have a tailored suit. That fits exactly for your body type, for you know your, the length of your arms, and you know your shoulders and your belly or not, if you have it or not. Right. You know, it's something like very personal, and that fits you know better. So that's yeah. the big difference is you know putting something on that is meant to be for your head. Yeah, it's fantastic. I have to say, you know, the first time that I got a hat custom made and put it on my head. It was just the experience was so different and and just made me want to wear the hat. We want to feel good. And we want to, I think the first thing is, usually what they say is, I want you to not to look good, but to look good to yourself. You need to look in the mirror and feel good. And then you'll go out and people will make compliments and you will, you know, grow your confidence. But the first person is yourself. So you need to be, you know, aware and you need to be confident that that's how you want to look. Well, I think, yes, exactly. I think a lot of people may shy away from wearing a hat or something that they, that they don't feel confident wearing it um, because Sometimes it's, it's just a matter of balance, Jack. You know, it's just that proportion that are mm-hmm. kind of off. And so you... You know, I have a lot of, you know, people that walk in and say, oh, I don't look good in hats. I was going to ask that question. Yeah. And I said, of course, it's not that you don't look good in hats. That's a false statement. It's that you don't put the right hat on your head. You're not following that, like, little rules that create balance. You're listening to the Leisure Class Podcast, brought to you by Newsweek. I'm your host, Jack Sonny. We're going to be right back with more chat with Enrico. And we're going to be joined by our cocktail magician and hat freak, Brad Johnson. Don't go away. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Well, it's time for the segment we call Shake It Up, a deep dive into the science, inspiration, and artistry in the making of creative craft cocktails. My co-host is Brad Johnson, a musician friend of mine with a shared passion for the good stuff, and who is a cocktail wizard a true star behind the bar. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, so you guys, you guys already did a bit today, didn't oh, you? We had a great conversation, man. It was so great. That's awesome. It was great. What are you drinking? A, a riff on a corpse survivor number two. Uh, Riffing? What do you? What do you? So what do you? Got? Well, you, you know, the bar is low, man. I gotta, I gotta go resupply. So. <laughs> 
rather than lemon, there's grapefruit. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a Negroni. Ah. Uh, Damn. So, Dude, that I'm doesn't drinking, look like a Negroni. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm drinking a Negroni Bianco. Ah. Which, Okay. And, and I riffed on it a little bit. And I think, I think Enrico is going to appreciate this because when, when I was last <laughs> down at the, he's brought out the Campari. Right on. When I was the last down at Busto and Son in yeah. Topanga, I brought down some Negronis because I always, I always bring down some cocktails and we'll, we'll, we'll have a couple of drinks. We'll, we'll talk about hats. We'll talk about clothes, you Beautiful. know. Enrico will make something magnificent. You know, it's always, it's always a party, right? But I was, I was bringing down Negronis and he had a friend of his in from Milan. And I forget this gentleman's name, but this was just a couple of weeks ago. We we're talking about, like, I had two different Negroni riffs that I was doing, right? Okay. And, and he had said, did you know that the original, the, the original Negroni was made in Milan? And I guess that's up for debate, but. Enrico's from Milan, so I'm not going to debate him on I'm it. From Venice, I live in Milan. <laughs> <laughs> and but his friend said that the original Negroni had black pepper in it. That's the Whoa. secret, right? Yeah, right. And I did the same thing. I was like, "Oh, hang on a really? second. You're talking. You're talking to the peppercorn king here, <laughs> baby." <laughs> <laughs> so, what, so what I did? So what I did tonight was I took. Um, gin. I took some Luxardo Bitter Bianco, some Italicus, which is the Italian liqueur, right. some Lille Blanc, and I um I muddled in some pink peppercorns into it, and then strained them out. And then, of course, I brought out my my pink peppercorn <laughs> perfume. Spray. And, I was going to say and, you got to bring the top. Anheuser. And then. Yeah, I'm sure your listeners are going to be like, "What's with this guy and the and the pink peppercorn <laughs> perfume all over his drinks?" And then, and then I I, I spritzed it with um, grapefruit zest, just like you, because I always got grapefruit on hand because it adds that, that other like zingy bitterness yes. to the tongue. And so it's a you know it's a riff on a Negroni Bianco, a all right. white Negroni, and so, it's delicious. So, so, let's so as I was as I was telling you, Brad, I lived in Milan for ten years, so. One of the most popular cocktails in Milan is Negroni Sbagliato, which is mistaken Negroni. So instead of yeah. gin, you put white wine. Right, yeah. Rather than so gin, you Sbagliato. Okay, yeah. all right, let's back up. Okay, so a Negroni, classic Negroni, is equal parts gin, Campari, vermouth. Yep, sweet vermouth, sweet specifically. Vermouth. Right. Yep, okay. And you, you could do an orange... An orange slice or orange zest okay. over the top. I, so, either way, but yes, it's, equal got, parts, it's got orange. That's that's classic. Generally on the rocks? Uh, you will stir this. Okay. Stir over ice, plenty of ice to get it cold. You want these impossibly cold. Yes. Just like Agreed. martinis, right? Yep. And, then, and then strain over a rocks glass that has preferably been chilled. Okay. Similar to, you know, a martini. But you, yeah. want, these, you want these bad boys cold for sure. But it's, you know, it's equal parts, and that's why we love the simple cocktails is that they're easy to make. Like, anybody could make them, and they're delicious. I would say that they're also, for some people, they're a bit of an acquired taste because they're, they're bitter, and they're sweet, and they're boozy. There's a lot of things going on to, for them. And, and so I, I know with a lot of folks, 
uh, the Negroni was one of those things that was a slow build for them where they, right. they, 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 they first tried it. They didn't really care for it. Then they had it again and it, and it kind of grew on them. That, right. That's what it was like for me too. And now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Negroni fiend. Yeah. That's one sure. of my you know, favorites. I had so many Negroni in my life, but <laughs> Brad makes the flavor in your mouth exploding in a different <laughs> timing. So while you are sipping it, I don't know if it's the atmosphere or everything, but every time he, he makes a cocktail, it's insane because in the first moment you have you know, your palate feeling one flavor and then is overwhelmed by the next one and the kick at the end and the smell. I mean, it's sensorial. But this is the this is the artistry of this, and <laughs> this is you. why it, this is why it connects with what we were talking about earlier, Enrico. You know, the expression of an art form, right? What you do with your hats, what he does, what Brad does with his cocktails. There is this beautiful depth of knowledge that goes into it, and the expression comes out in this very simplistic form that just seems to make everything right. <laughs> you know? I don't know where I was That's going. Hard. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think Jack that that it's that art art is accessible to people because we, you know people that make things that are artistically creative or pleasing for the eyes or pleasing for the palate or pleasing for the ears. Are, are trying to trying to do something that is an expression of who they are as humans, but also communicate that expression to to people that you know may not be thinking along the lines of their art, artistic endeavor, right. but are going to you know like it and hopefully like it enough to receive it. You know, getting your personality out there into the world and feeling confident enough. To do that, I mean, I know so many people like we were talking about earlier, and I don't look good in hats. I'm afraid to wear that jacket. Oh my god, a a pink suit or a, or a pink shirt? Like you know, I was in right. We were at Lasky's in in uh, you know the clothier to Elvis Presley. I was like in Memphis last week, and I was sending sending Brad, you know photos of it it's like elvis is wearing black and pink man like that's that kid grew up in tupelo 1950s yeah you got your ass kicked in tupelo wearing black and pink and then he 19- was wearing mascara FYI. and eyeshadow you were getting your ass kicked wearing black and pink <laughs> in the 80s yeah and exactly the 90s, you know it's what I mean? crazy like, that man it's not like it, it's it's cool now like i love black and pink and and it probably has a lot to do with elvis but yeah i mean it's an it's, old rockabilly obviously throwback but i i worked for a team that this shirt was black and pink palermo Oh, yeah, okay. But, you know, I want to mix what you guys said, and it's so fascinating to me. You know, I don't like the fashion world, you know, something that is trendy. Right. And on the other hand, I don't like also the branding. I wear this thing because it is my logo, is who I want to show the world. You know, I, I wear what I wear because... I look at the mirror and I feel good with myself. Right. And that one allowed me to go into the world 
meet other people and be good about who I am and share with them who I am, not who I want the perception to be, you know? I don't want them, them to see who I am on Instagram or, you know, right. on like the facade, you know? I want right. them to see who I am and what I like and the people I enjoy to be with, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So here's, here's a question for you. Do clothes make the man? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll answer that. Like, I'll jump in. All right. The, the, the answer is no, because <laughs> because you, a a a person's character is is intrinsic, right? Like it is something that is deep, and and sometimes just you, you know, I mean, you're raised with it to a certain degree, but it's something that grows over time. I would say this: that clothes embellish the person to elevate and or transport them into an alternate version of themselves or a higher version of themselves or perhaps an alter ego, you know, because, because yes, you can have, you can have strong character and, and be a good human being. And you could say, I don't want to think about clothing. And so I'm going to wear, you know, a black suit every day because I don't want to think about it. And by the way, I love and appreciate that. And I wish, <laughs> I wish my brain operated that way. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it's never been able to do that. I've tried to calm it down. I've tried to quell it and it just doesn't happen. You know? So for me, when, when I, when I adorn myself, it, you know, there's, there's, where am I going? Where, where where am I going? What am I doing is going through my head, but it's also who do, who do I want to transform myself into today? Like what alter ego or higher version of myself wow. can I project out to the world today? And that's the way I approach it. And I don't, I don't know what that is until, until I get there. And that's why it, it's difficult for me to travel is because I, I, I can't, right. I can't tell you from one day to another, you know? I mean, that's so fascinating, you know, because also, you know, every day we wake up in a different mood and there is a different way, you know, I'm very meteopathic. So if it's a sunny day, I'm super happy. If it's cloudy in California five times right, a year, five times a year. <laughs> yeah. and I'm sad, you know, I say, wow. <laughs> and, and so I, I think, uh, you know, all our way to express ourselves, you know, helped yeah. us to go through the day and also to re- I think the most important thing is we are like social animals. You know, yeah. we want to interact. Absolutely. And clothing and taste and music are all tools to interact with our tribe or with the yes. tribe of the day, you know, that resemble better our mood and how we feel, you know. And so I think uh, it's so fascinating that we can really like enhance these feelings through, you know, our taste and through our, you know, senses. Well, that's it for this episode of The Leisure Class, friends. I really appreciate you joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends all about The Leisure Class, brought to you by Newsweek.